Hello, and welcome to the 44th episode of the Queen Bee Book Club podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Cher. And welcome back. It's been it's been a while. It's been several weeks. But you know what? We've been busy. We've been very busy. Yes. I had my first law school exams. Yeah, that seemed aggressive. It was a bummer. We were finishing up our quarter, and also, you know, there was there were the holidays and Christmas and whatnot, yeah. and we're just two women trying to make it happen, so. You know, we don't want to get too burnt <laughs> out like Edna and The Awakening. We don't want to resent this Everything. podcast. No, we don't so. want to resent it. Yeah. So we're sorry to Jess, Ari, and Grace specifically, but all the other <laughs> listeners. That we're maybe unaware of. Sorry to you guys too, I guess. But maybe like me, use this as a time to catch up on some of the podcasts that you've been like woefully behind on. Yes, I actually have a new podcast recommendation. Tell it. Okay. Um, It's called Bear Brook. Okay. It's a true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. And like the premise is, so it, it, like in the 80s, they found a barrel in okay. the woods in New Hampshire that okay. had um, two women in them. Oh, my gosh. One of them was, like, our age, and then one of them was, like, nine years old. Oh, gosh. So I guess maybe not a woman, but anyway. And, um, like, the police set up a perimeter, but, like, they didn't find another barrel that had a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old girl in it, which was very nearby. Did they talk about this on My Favorite Murder for, like, a hot minute? Because I feel like this sounds, like, slightly familiar. I'm woefully behind on My Favorite Murder, so. But probably. Okay. But anyway, it's really good, and um, they do kind of have some answers at the end, which is satisfying. That, you know, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, not like, 100%, but I think, like, you largely end with, like, some idea of, like, what maybe happened. Okay, I like that. Um, and there's like a lot of stuff about forensic genealogy, which I'm very interested in and excited mm-hmm. about. Love that. Yeah, I've been listening to the podcast called Binge Mode, mm-hmm. and currently they it was recommended to me by like one of those end of the year like top podcasts of the year, and I was very confused not to see our podcast. I know there. why on earth. I mean, what I forget even what website it was, but like, come on, Pop Sugar. Yep. Get with the program, probably. <laughs> like, please get with the program. Seriously. Um, but basically, it's a podcast. I think they do different stuff as they finish it. Um, but currently, they're doing Harry Potter. Oh, fine. And their Harry Potter episodes were what were recommended. And, like, I will say, not to toot our horn, I think our episodes about Harry Potter are maybe a little bit more fun. Oh, and how can they, like, they made it unfun? It's not unfun. It's just, and like, it's, it's exhaustive. And, and okay. there was a part that made me cry because I'd never thought about it before. So they were oh, talking what about was the Sorcerer's it? Stone and the chess match that Harry, Ron, and uh, Hermione play. Yep. And they were saying like, oh, well, it's so interesting that like, um, what is it? Hermione becomes the Rook. Yeah, because like that's rooks, the castle, right? Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a defender and somebody who like it, it, like basically they were saying that like J.K. Rowling was obviously like telling you something about their characters with the chess pieces that they be- they became, and then it was like Harry becomes the bishop, so it's almost like he's the chosen one. He's got the relationship uh, yes. with God, whatever. But then they were like, and Ron becomes the knight, and a knight is ascribed, even though like at this point like Ron hasn't really like been able to like show 
his amazing colors like 100%, but it's like the knight has like all of like the classic characteristics that a Gryffindor would have. And like this is like his shining moment and I like burst into tears. That moment in in the first book and the first movie when Ron sacrifices himself oh. to the queen, <laughs> it'll get me every old. time. He's 11. I also like, because we were like 11 when that first movie came out, mm-hmm. never hotter. Nothing no, oh hotter than that moment for Nothing me. Nothing hotter. Well, and also like, but to me, like the true moment is Harry and Ron meeting each other in the Hogwarts Express for oh. the first time. And like little Harry being like, Harry didn't think that there was anything wrong with being poor. And just being like, hey, do you want to have some candy? And Ron being like, yeah, sure. Ron and being just, like, oh, no, I have a sandwich. And Harry's like, screw that. <laughs> I'm going to buy the whole train of food. <laughs> well, I feel super ready and excited to record this podcast, not because of my mastery of the material, but because <laughs> Lauren, <laughs> Lauren just had on the um, Chicago movie. And literally oh, right yes. before we sat down was the cell block tango scene. Which, like, Great movie. tell me a more exciting and empowering scene in a movie None. than Cell Block Tango. None. There isn't one. That was – I saw that, mo- that show on Broadway when I was in the sixth grade, which meant that I had Dangerous. seen the movie at least a year or two prior. Because when we went to New York City for the first time, Rachel, Lauren, and my parents were like, what show do you want to see? We were like, obviously Chicago. Like, no question, because we loved the movie so much. And one of the things I loved about it was the cell block tango. I was 100% too young. Um, I didn't understand that in the Broadway version, they played it for laughs. I was like, no, this is about empowering them. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. None of all of this was accidental. Yeah. But um, the yesterday, actually, Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Oh, yeah. You posted. Love that. um, He posted an Insta story of himself dancing to cell block tango and I was like this is literally me like I've done that in the shower and one time I almost fell to my death doing it because I slipped you would have gone out swinging exactly um although it is a fear of mine to die in the shower because it's like you're naked and I don't want to be found that way well now I'm gonna think about it well I (laughs) I'm just very I'm always nervous in the shower because it's like a time when you can't hear anything and your eyes are closed you can't defend yourself yeah so it's just like very easy for somebody like I don't fear to be clear I don't fear falling down and dying in the shower I am afraid of being murdered in the shower okay like similar to while you're asleep like I don't like to be in situations where I feel like I wouldn't be able to defend myself understandable that's understandable so like, you've got to have a plan, is what I'm saying. It's like, even in the shower, you should have a plan. So I went and saw Chicago with my dad. Perfect. When, like, when, like, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. I, I think I was in high school, maybe in college. I'm not sure. But anyway, so we were on, like, a, a duo trip to New York. And uh, Billy Flynn was played by Rufus from Gossip Girl. Perfect. I am now having a memory <laughs> where I think we've definitely talked about this on the podcast before. Well, you're Because I think I promised to, like, like uncover the picture of, like, little sixth grade me, like, sprawled across, like, some pictures of, like, suggestive women from the show. <laughs> well, I don't think you ever delivered, so here's another no, chance. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get my mom to send me those pictures from my photo album. Oh, my God. 
Um, speaking of Rufus Humphreys, um, one of the more exciting things to happen in my life is I just started watching The O.C. again, Ugh. which I watched the whole first season in two days with Mary-Kate. Perfect. Wow. Like, just wow. <laughs> yeah. I. I. It's surprising to me that you'd never – but I guess, like, I feel like – I never watched it, like, when it was on. It was, like, randomly when I was super bored over the summer. I caught episodes of it on SoapNet, and that's how I got super into it. Um, I think I think that it came out – at the time that it came out, I was more interested in Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that was, like, my main show. You were but like, I, show me some adult problems. I'm yeah, I'm like, these are kids. I, I'm so much more <laughs> mature than this, like – yeah, anyway. Well, Show me a woman drowning first... herself instead, please. <laughs> Speaking of the awakening. But, <laughs> um, I think at first I was just very dismissive of the OC because I was like, oh, it's about just like pretty people and their problems. I was a very like bitter eighth grader. Understandable. Um, <laughs> and actually, also... honestly, I don't know that I would have been allowed to watch it like when it was actually on too. Yeah, well, I don't remember watching that many, like, teen shows as they aired. I feel like I always caught them in reruns. I also think that, like, teen shows are better for adults to watch because that's when we are, like, missing our teenage years. Mm-hmm. And you're also just like, oh, Tim Riggins, like, get it together. You're just like, I would love to be your foster mom. Yesterday, I <laughs> – yes. Not in a I, gross way, just in a way that you could help him. <laughs> I legit – so Rachel and I were watching Remember the Titans yesterday, and I was like, oh, after this, we're going to have to watch Friday Night Lights where no one is paralyzed. And then was like, wait a minute. Jason Street nope. episode one. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Can't yeah. watch that. We, like, we have five episodes left of the entire season, and we just cannot get through it. I don't and know what it is. I, you know, Mae Whitman of Parenthood has <sighs> never watched the last episode. She's like, I can't do it. I can't close the chapter. I'm I I just want to like I want a clean slate and to start a new show, but yeah. Um, I will say, I mean, I strongly advocate to anyone who watches it that you need to take a break in once between Chad or um, Michael B. Jordan's character is introduced, and like they get like a new team. Like once Coach Taylor starts coaching the Lions, I recommend like a few months to kind of reorient yourself because I do think those episodes are truly as good. As the earlier seasons, but it's I just think so like, too. I also think they actually are dealing with with like a lot more important issues than they dealt with in the first I would agree. seasons. I would agree. I think they dig more into um, issues of like income inequality as it relates to education and just general income inequality <laughs> um, and like racism and yeah, yeah, and know. it's not. It's more constant that they're dealing with it because Vince is the quarterback as opposed right. to, like, Smash, who was a central character, but not as central as, like, Tim and um, Matt. Well, and Smash, like, also had, like, a really together family. Oh, like, Smash's mom is, like, the best parent on the whole friggin' show. Agreed. Whereas, like, Michael B. Jordan's family is in shambles. Where you left off, Julie was having her affair, right? Julie, okay, where I left off, spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen it. It's been out for yeah. years, so you can We've plug We've never apologized now. for spoilers, <laughs> and I won't start now. <laughs> I just got to the part where, like, he comes to town. 
Oh. (laughs) And Coach Taylor chases him out of the house. Yeah. Just for those of you who don't know, the plot line here is that a college freshman has an affair with her TA who's, like, maybe 30. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's, like, definitely, like, a PhD student. Like, he's it's not like he's a senior. Right. And And he's married. He's married, and his wife shows up and hits Julie in front of her whole dorm, and Mm -hmm. Julie decides that she would like to go home from college now, but, like, didn't tell anybody why. Right. And then... He shows up to, like, try to get her to go to back to school, but, like, also to try to kind of, like, win her back, mm-hmm. which is disgusting. And then, um, so I got to the part where she, like, is supposedly driving back to school, but then drives to Matt's house. Ugh, Julie. What? She is the most annoying character of all time. I thought Becky used to be annoying, but now she's really grown on me. I also, I think... I think it's just, like, it's so understandable because her issues are coming from, like, she needs to be in therapy to get through, like, why she's annoying because it's, like, their actual, like, real issues. Whereas Julie's just a brat. I also think I found Becky more annoying when she was actively pursuing Tim Riggins. But now that Tim Riggins is in jail and she's just Mm -hmm. being parented by Mindy, like, Mm -hmm. I'm much more interested in that story. Love those elements. I also love to death. I don't love that she gets pregnant, but I love that literally she tells Tim and he's like, look, there's only one place to go. And it's fucking Tammy Taylor. I love that Tim Riggins in his heart is like, when you're in trouble, you need to talk to Tammy Taylor. I know. Like, he just knows that. He's like, there's only one person to go to. And he's not wrong. The thing that is wild (laughs) to me, though, with Coach T and Tammy Taylor as parents, how did they produce a child as horrible as Julie? Exactly. Exactly. I don't get it. I think it's truly that she is so like at first I think she was just meant to be like she resents her dad's career and so and like everything that comes with it. And so I think like she is just a brat to them because she's like you've made us move and uproot us and like you've made me be a part of this culture that I don't agree with because I think at first she was so supposed to be this kind of like intellectual in this culture because it was like she was quoting like Moby Dick in the first episode but I think she also I think it's supposed to be like kind of artsy yeah and I think that kind of just devolved into her seeming pretty bratty yeah well that's for sure um but can we just talk about the OC for three minutes because oh my god as long as you want okay (laughs) so as, like, a, a hardcore Gossip Girl fan, like, okay. that's probably one of my favorite shows ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like these shows are very similar. Well, they're the same creator. Right. Which is also, didn't that, well, I know um, Norman Buckley worked on PLL, too. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. I know he worked on the OC and Gossip Girl, but I don't know, like, what role he had. Yeah. The shared DNA, if you have not watched either, which, like, I don't even know what to do with you. You shouldn't be listening to this podcast, probably. (laughs) We've we've gone on so many Gossip Girl, like, tangents that I don't know why you would still be listening. Um, The shared DNA is definitely, like, rich teenagers. Right. With an outsider. Yes. And then um, kick-ass soundtrack. Oh, my God. The soundtrack is so good. Um. I've been listening to, you know, some 2008 hits lately. Like some Dashboard. (laughs) Phantom Planet. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, no, it's good. 
there was there's in one there. song that I've been listening to on repeat, which is by an artist I've never heard of. It's called like the eighty eight or something. Beautiful. Ever heard of it? No. That sounds familiar, but probably because there's like an OC song. It's like it, it like it's like da na na da na na da na. It's great. Everyone should what listen from, to it. What if from that, like, our whole <laughs> podcast got pulled from iTunes? I don't think like, that my pitch is good that good. <laughs> the song is called "How Good How Good Can How Good It Can Be." Everyone should listen to it on Spotify. Amazing, amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, but so, like, I think that ultimately, Gossip Girl is maybe better. Can I guess your favorite character? Oh yeah, go ahead. And OC Summer. No. Really? Okay. Interesting. See, like, to me, like, I do, I prefer Summer. I I, I like Summer better than a lot of people probably like Summer. But mm-hmm. I just feel like she hasn't had much of a chance to develop where I am at this she point. Becomes, she might get better. I always forget that in the first couple of seasons, she, or not in a couple of seasons, there was only four seasons. Um, I always forget that, like, in season one, she becomes much more prominent by the end of season one but like she's not very prominent she was she was a guest star in the beginning yeah like i don't even know that she was supposed to be like one of the main people she wasn't she was just supposed to be like marissa's best friend but i think everyone liked her so much and they liked her and uh, adam brody's yeah which i do too but yeah i mean i think that we don't really know anything about her life at all at this point. Like, we know so much about everybody else, but I feel like she's a yeah. little bit – and she also is just, like, a little bit terrible most of the time. Yeah, she's definitely really whiny and kind of, like, bitchy in the I, first couple I, of episodes. I know that there's more behind it, but, like, I don't know exactly what it is. But yeah. I really like her and um, Seth's dynamic. Like, I really yes. – I think they're, like, very good together. Mm-hmm. But, no, I would not say she's my favorite character. My favorite character is Sandy. Oh my god. <laughs> Naturally. Like, oh, Kirsten. <laughs> he always sounds like he's an orator, just like in the kitchen. <laughs> um But yeah, no, I'd say Sandy's probably my favorite. Um I like really have a soft spot for Ryan, but like Ryan is also like the epitome of like what I'm attracted to in men where it's just like you're broken. <laughs> you know you're, you're so is, damaged he is the tim riggins but what yes. i think what i think he gets worse show, though in my f- opinion ryan does like i i loved him more in the beginning than i do now i i think that's fair and i think what i think that is our our 26 year old maturity yeah probably um because i think with tim you, as the layers get peeled, you see that you see the brokenness more than it is just him being like kind of right. like a loser or something. And so that and like you see there's like such essential goodness in there and whatever. And he's not a controlling character. Ryan but is I, very controlling. And I think the OC though also is in a way they do show like the critique of having like a superman complex which yeah. Ryan 100 percent does yeah but i think they try to hold him up as this like small town or this like you know poor hero or whatever right. whereas it's like a little whereas friday night lights never tries to do that with tim they're just like this kid is not someone well and you him. and you have adults who are like critical of tim's 
Like, or like, like, I think that you have adults who see Tim for what he is, but the problem yeah. with Sandy is that Sandy also idolizes Ryan. And yes. so it's like, like Sandy, like number one wants to be Ryan's friend. Yeah. And his dad mm-hmm. and his brother. Like, he's yeah, just, he, he treats Ryan like a peer often. Yeah. Cause he's like, well, he's like been on the streets. Right. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's also like going back to that show. It is a little bit strange that like they like he's from Chino. Right. And so every character that Ryan knows from growing up is Hispanic. But yet like the show itself was like, nah, like he's going to be about as Aryan as they come. (laughs) Yeah. Classic. They actually did a joke. I think it was on Mad TV. They did like a spoof with the actual actors, and like one of the black cast members of Mad TV came on, and um, Adam Brody goes, "Well, Summer, this is a black person. We don't have those on the OC." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, oh but yeah, I mean, yeah, but also Seth Cohen is probably like high top character oh gosh for for sure like so enjoyable such a delight so enjoyable to me he is so like i feel like marissa and um oh god marissa no marissa is not a favorite she is bottom (laughs) i hate marissa yeah Um, jimmy cooper bottom her dad (gasps) he's the worst my sister and i like every time jimmy cooper comes on screen i'm like he he is such a bad actor. He just constantly looks like he's laughing at himself. Like, he just, like... Quentin Mo and I have always said that that guy looks like he just smells. <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> yeah, I could see it. Um, there are some pretty good Marissa moments that are coming. Like, not that will make you like Marissa, but, like, just her her spiraling and Misha Barton not being that good of an actress is, like, there are some fun moments. But I feel like Marissa is very similar in DNA to Serena. Um, Serena. Yeah. But Summer and Blair are not similar. Because Summer seems dumb. And Summer, like, is a little dumb. Summer becomes, she is self-aware of being dumb, I think. Right. Yeah, she is. And, like, self-conscious about that. Um, but she's also, like, not as like acting from acting in cruelty because of insecurity as, as Blair. much in later seasons as Blair does always. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, I think, I don't know. I, as a Blair Waldorf apologist every day of the week. Yeah. I think Blair from the beginning, you might not like her, but you will enjoy See? every scene with her. See, I love Blair so much until about, like, season three, and my impatience with Blair, or maybe, like, end of season two-ish, was more about the writers than it was about Blair. Because I always just felt like it was more about the writers not When were you Blair... impatient with her? When she went to NYU? No, it was just more like when they wouldn't let her grow past, like, scheming. Oh, and it was, like, always her fallback. And then – because they – I feel like they made it the storyline too many times. Like, I liked in season two when she schemes against um, 
that teacher that oh, ends up having I hate an affair that with Dan. Whole thing. Yeah, when Dan and, has sex with his teacher. Yeah, horrible. But there are consequences for it. Yeah. And she kind of like has to learn this lesson of like maybe it's time to grow up and to stop doing this all the time. And um and then like Dan has that moment with the teacher where it's like, yeah, like Blair did that because she's a teenager. Like you're an adult. Like what the fuck? But then, so it felt to me that that was, like, a nice moment of growth for Blair of being, like, oh, I, like, kind of need to grow up and I I will be. And then I feel like in later seasons they were, like, yeah, but, like, Blair's going to scheme. And I was, like, she's not. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like the writers did Blair dirty in that, like, I would have been so interested to see what a person like that becomes when she's older. And I think in season three, they start to do that where like she's unhappy at NYU because she doesn't have like a. God, what a terrible time. A place and whatnot. I don't know. Yeah, but I think I do think that she does grow up, though. I think she does. But I think. um, Are you talking about when she like starts hosting the soiree and stuff and Chuck is like Blair? (laughs) Like, You have got to move on. (laughs) That to me is fine. Um, I don't know. It's just the later seasons where it was like. And, sh- and maybe she and Chuck, but no, we can't give the, you that yet. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's just the that's just them extending the show. That's just right. like, oh, shit, we got renewed. Yes. <laughs> Let's tear them <laughs> apart once again. Oh, damn it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I also, I think that Seth Cohen shares DNA with Dan. And yeah, I but it's so much is, better. Is so much better. It's times more enjoyable than Dan. But, like, Seth is – he's sort of like Dan, except that he's rich. Yes. Like, because, like, I guess, like, Dan is sort of the in-between of Ryan and Seth, where it's, like, he's the outsider from, like, Brooklyn or Chino. Mm-hmm. And then he also <laughs> is, like, the intellectual and, like, mm-hmm. the sarcastic mm-hmm. guy who doesn't fit in at school. Mm-hmm. But I, mean, I feel like – I feel like Ryan's the Chuck, though. Interesting. Cause, or maybe he's the Nate. Yeah, I would say he's more the Nate. Um, honestly, like Ryan and Seth's friendship. Actually, is no, because I think like, Luke's the Nate, which would make Ryan the Chuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like rich kid whose parents like fall apart. But also, just like is Julie, <laughs> and also is just like a little dumb. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, we'll end up alone. I, like, me and Mary Kate were bummed, though, because, like, he started being really funny near the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And, and then he, like, he's like, I'm leaving. I'm like, Luke, we are just starting to enjoy you. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going to go. Going to get out of here. Yeah. Well. But, like, can we him. just talk about the iconic um, Marissa gets drunk and takes drugs in Tijuana. Tijuana. Yeah, and then love Ryan that. carries her out of an alley. I remember watching that as a high schooler and just being like, that's what I want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. But I also so like Sandy is like a 90 times better Rufus. Yes. And and Kirsten is like a kinder Lily. Yes. Yes. So it's like if Rufus and Lily actually worked out mm-hmm. as a marriage. I agree. Yeah. That's tough. That's I tough wish that they would stop messing with them, though. 
Like, because I'm like, my... can you stop doing that? Like, we don't need that. I just will have tolerate... Julie sleep with everyone. Yes, I will tolerate any any amount of drama between the teens, but I never understood. And I felt like this in Gossip Girl too. Nobody wants the drama between Rufus and Lily or Sandy and Kirsten. I just mean, let them be together. That's why I always loved, like, my primary love of Friday Night Lights was, like, there was never a specter of, like, oh, no. Like, oh, that's where you're wrong. Remember when, um, like, that teacher kissed Tammy? Yeah, and she was, like, gross. And then <laughs> Eric kind of just laughs about it. Yeah. He's like, what? Glenn. <laughs> She's like, Ew. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and mean, then he's I, like so nervous. He confesses to Eric, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like what Jimmy Cooper does to Sandy, though, too. Ugh. And I'm like, <laughs> like he's just openly smiling, like, "Oh, I'm glad you're so cool with the fact that I tried to kiss your wife." And Sandy is like, "I'm gonna hit you right now." Huh? <laughs> um. No, I like. I will tolerate some of the drama between them, but I only like it in the sense, like, I don't like these jokes that they make about ending their marriage every episode. Yeah. <laughs> where, they're like, where they're like, well, we'll see if our marriage can survive this, like, latest business issue. Well, it's just like, nobody wants that. No. That is not the drama that anyone is tuning in for. Like, I remember as a high school student being like, there's no part of me that wants Sandy and Kirsten to be in trouble. No, and there's also no part of me that wants to watch Sandy and Kirsten have sex, which they do every episode. <laughs> it's like it's not what we're here for. No, like they it's can not. have problems. No, I will like, I no, like I liked but... when they went to the um the swinger party. Oh. And right. like cuz like... like her sister Haley made it seem like they were in a rut. Yes. And and then Sandy took his watch out of the thing without Kirsten knowing, which like mm-hmm. I like I was like that was fun, that mm-hmm. was a fun romp with them. But yeah, I must have blocked that out because I don't remember that happening. <laughs> it's like it's funny, yeah. But like you think for a minute, you're like, oh my god, are they gonna do this? <laughs> of course not. No. Um. Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. I just. Like that would it to me it would be like you introducing conflict in um Blair's mom and Cyrus's relationship. And I'm like, You're please like, don't. Yes. Yeah, so we we're just happy that. with them together. And honestly, it's like there's so much drama going on with the children that they, they we need something solid. We need a united front here. We need something solid so that we can feel safe. Yeah. Um Okay, we can stop talking about this now. But anyway, love it. Um, I'm going to have to purchase season two on iTunes. Oof, I'm excited for you. It is. I don't know if you have access to Hulu, but it is I on don't. Hulu. Okay. But. Um, One of the only episodes I've ever purchased on iTunes of television is an episode in season four. Of those. And it'll, yeah, and it'll make no sense to you as to why I did that once you get there. But it, at the time, it was important to me. Okay. It was like a couple that I like. I don't want to give any spoilers to you, but it was yeah, there was a relationship I got like weirdly invested in. Okay, well I can't wait to hear what that is. It is not though. I will say my all time favorite coupling. I mean, Seth and Summer are like OTP, but there is a couple I really enjoy that you're getting to soon. 
Can you give me <clears throat> one of the people in it? Ryan. Is it someone we've met on the show for the girl? No. Okay. Well, that's good, because Ryan could use a good girlfriend these days. Yeah. Seriously. Because all of the other ones have not been great. Remember when he sleeps so. with um, Seth's grandfather's girlfriend in, like, episode three? <laughs> Disapprove. <laughs> Mary, I always like to marry Kate. I'm like, I told you this was a great show. <laughs> like, that's the moment that I think she's like, I'm know. in. <laughs> That's like in Riverdale when Archie go in season one when Archie goes up to that um, music teacher and says, oh, no, yeah. Geraldine, we have a secret. I was like, I'll watch every episode of this show no matter what. God, this is the best. I need, to, I need to watch that because I like I know that I feel like that show was made for me. It was. But season one is I will stand by that as like a perfect season of television. Um. The later seasons are like, I watch it and I'm like, what's going on? But I still like it. I need to watch it. I just, I haven't had time. And now the OC is really taking over my time. Yeah. I mean, I support you watching the OC more than catching up on Riverdale. So. Yeah. Anyway. That's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> well, speaking of oceans. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> speaking of what? oceans and women trying to kill themselves. <laughs> The Awakening. The Awakening. Um, this book, I think I told you this. I read this novella probably five times, and I can never remember what happens in it. You've read it five times? This is only my, this is my second time. I mean, I feel like maybe not five, but I've definitely been supposed to read it. <laughs> <laughs> at least twice for my schooling don't let your students hear that audrey yeah oh my god seriously um i never read it in high school the first time i read oh, it no never was in grad school yeah um, um and i read yikes. it in one sitting because i was rushed yikes so um yeah i always like it but it's always one of those where i'm like oh huh because I think I get to the two men confused. I, like, fuse them together. Well, they're pretty much the same. Well, because it's, it's Robert and what, what, how do you say his name? Al, Aleke? Alec? Adrio? I don't know. Elise? <laughs> Let's just call him A, a and R. He's a meat puppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Edna can't be with Robert, so she's like, you'll do. I think they call him a Robin, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Kind of like aerobics. That's how we'll remember it because he's oh. probably fit. <laughs> um, yeah. So should we do like for those of you who don't know the story? Yeah, let's give a summary. Okay, I will bring up what Wikipedia says because mine, um, my copy is like some of Kate Chopin's other stories. So is mine. I think like every copy. Well, because it's only a hundred pages. I mean, goodness. Um. Okay. The Awakening is a novel by Kate Chopin, first published in 1899, set in New Orleans and on the Louisiana Gulf Coast at the end of the 19th century. The plot centers around Edna Pontillier? Pontier? I don't know. So, I don't sounds know right. 
um, and her struggle between her increasingly unorthodox views on femininity and motherhood with the prevailing social attitudes of the turn of the century American South. It is one of the earliest American novels that focuses on women's issues without condescension. It is also widely seen as a landmark work of early feminism, generating a mixed reaction from contemporary readers and critics. Okay. So, I mean, like, I can, I feel like I can just give, like, a quick plot summary. So, yeah. like, basically, like, <clears throat> the main character is Edna. She falls in love. I, I want to say she mm-hmm. falls in lust with mm. this, like, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but, like, this younger boy, man, guy. And then he goes off to Mexico mm-hmm. for some reason. And in the meantime, she basically realizes that she's, like, obsessed with him. And then that sort of, like, causes her to decide that she's, like, no longer interested in, like, A, acting like a traditional mother or wife. And so she Mm -hmm. basically does her own thing. Her husband, like, goes off for a while. And so she decides to move into a small new home. Mm-hmm. Um, she s- hangs out with only people she wants to hang out with. Mm-hmm. She hooks up with a Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I mean, that's like. Well, then Robert comes back. Yeah. Well, then Robert comes back and she bullies him into confessing his feelings for her. Cause obviously mm-hmm. he likes her back. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he leaves. He leaves. And then she basically drowns herself in the ocean. She walks into the ocean. So that's the, those are the plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what makes this novel so interesting is that other than a lot of the stuff about motherhood. Yeah. Well, I guess it's partially the stuff about motherhood. It's this idea of like. I mean, coming in 1899, I mean, it's not, like, that close after Jane Austen was writing, but I feel like so many novels about women at this time were about young women getting married, which makes sense because it was, like, that was the most important decision of their lives that they were going to be making and it would determine what the rest of their life was going to be like and those were all coming-of-age stories, blah, blah, blah. Um, But this novel is, like, okay, um, women were getting married at, like – in their teens and early 20s and so then they had a lot of life to live afterward so like what the fuck happens after the marriage plot is over because her husband is described to us as like he's he a just good sucks. husband well no well, really i mean like he doesn't treat her very well like he sucks in that like he is completely appropriate for the time you know what i mean but like in theory, it's, like, he buys her bonbons and, like, pays attention to their children. But then, like, there's, like, a creepy line where it's, like, yeah, he looked true. at her like one of his objects. And you're, like, yikes. Um, yeah, but there's no, like, passion in it. It's basically, like, she's just meant to, like, pay calls. And she's, like, fuck this. Well, and she, like, very much has an ascribed duty. Like, she like mm-hmm. she has and, – and it's not even necessarily, like, the traditional things that you would think of. But just the fact that, like, she's supposed to be around to, like, have callers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, like – So it's, like, as bad as we thought it was for unmarried women because they're, like – their position in life is so precarious – Kate Chopin's like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It's going to suck once you get married, too, even if you marry well. 
it's just very boring and yeah well and i think i think there also is a feeling that you have characters in books where it's like motherhood is like the most beautiful and exciting and like perfect like purposeful thing yeah whereas edna is just like yeah like i love my kids but like this is just like isn't really my thing yeah there's a so there's a quote on page 10 of my book i don't know why i felt the need to i'm like in teacher mode let let us know which edition it is audrey um it's the oxford world's classic okay um (laughs) it says in short mrs pontier Pontier, i don't know edna (laughs) was not a mother woman the mother woman seemed to prevail that summer at Grand Isle. This is where they all like vacation together. It was easy to know them fluttering about with extended protecting wings when any harm or real real or imaginary threatened their precious brood. They were women who idolized their children, worshipped their husbands, and esteemed it a holy privilege to efface themselves as individuals and grow wings as ministering angels. Yeah. Yeah. And so... But Edna's kind of like, like you said, I like my kids, but well, I mean, I think she, who am I? <laughs> but I, I mean, I think she loves her kids. But I think it's mm-hmm. like, um, I just don't think Edna would have been a stay-at-home mom. You know, no. if she was in our generation, she would be working, and like, mm-hmm. you know, she would be happy to see her kids when she got home, but she would be happy to leave them when she went to work. Yeah. Well, and I also think it's interesting, though, because on that same page, um, the husband is, like, reflecting and, like, worrying kind of about Edna being a good mom or not. And it said – and it says, um, if one of the little boys took a tumble whilst at play, he was not apt to rush crying into his mother's arms for comfort. He was more likely to pick himself up, wipe the water out of his eyes, the sand out of his mouth, and go on playing – I'm like, um, that sounds like good parenting to me. Like, <laughs> sorry, we don't want crybabies. Yeah, I'm like, you're self-soothing. Your chil- it's good. Yeah, exactly. You're making your kids self-sufficient, realizing sometimes you do fall down and you got to pick yourself back up. I'm like, that sounds good to me. Well, and I think she says, like, I would be willing to like die for my children, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. be willing to like give up my soul. Basically, is what she says. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is cool. <laughs> but. And also fair. I mean. Right. Well, I mean, I think the the thing is, is that nobody expects the father to give up his soul. A hundred percent. And I think, so I think that this novel is kind of, it's demonstrating a problem that still exists in our society. Whereas like in Jane Austen's books, like I don't think Jane Austen liked kids particularly. And so it was like. You don't see parent- much. No, you don't. And any parent that, like, insisted on having their kids around, like, nobody liked them. (laughs) It's like, ugh. (laughs) They always let those kids scream and play, and it's just terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we hardly see the children in this book either. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, keep them out of here. But it's almost like Edna's weird for not, like, there's... She's definitely an outlier. Yeah, there's a part where Edna's kind of like, um, can we go on a walk and not bring the kids? Yeah. Can it just be lady time? Well, and the other weird character is Madame Reese, right? Mm. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Who like? Yeah, she's I, the one who's like in contact with Robert while he's away. Yeah, and she, but she's like older. I think she's mm-hmm. and like, but she I think is unmarried and lives alone and just plays the piano. 
Yeah. Is my impression of her. Yeah. Well, and, like, Robert's character is introduced to us as, like, he basically is this single man who flirts with the married women in, like, a harmless way. Where it's, like, he kind of, like, dotes on a married woman in, like, this very safe, fun way. Um, And then, but, like, and then all of a sudden Edna's, like, actually, though, like, we we could fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And and then he's, like, like, wait. He's, like, wait, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, like, in the beginning, one of the other characters says to Robert, like, you can't make her your woman this summer because she's not going to get it. Like, she's not one of us and she's going to think you're serious. And Robert's like, fuck you, maybe I am serious. But then he also panics and goes to Mexico. So And then leaves again. Well, because he's like, I don't want to besmirch your name. And she's like, all right, I guess I'll just walk into the ocean. Then. She's like, like, I'll besmirch my own. <laughs> not messing around, Robert. She's like, I've already been sleeping with Arobin for weeks. <laughs> No turning back. <laughs> um, I don't know. The thing the thing that's weird to me about this book is, like, all of this credit is given to Robert for, like, awakening her to this, like, new version of herself that basically is just, like, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Madame, like, from what I remember of Madame Bovary. Never like, read it. <laughs> what I remember of the book is she has an affair, which I think I knew that going in. So, like good stuff um but yeah i mean but like she has an affair with the guy that awakens her or whatever and so i think i kept expecting her to have an affair with robert and then i got confused when like a robin came into the play because i was like well but i i think (laughs) i think the whole robin thing though was basically more that she was like i see something that i want and i'm going to take Mm -hmm. it and i'm not going to apologize for wanting it Mm -hmm. or for taking it and also, it doesn't really change anything about how I feel about Robert. Yeah, because, I mean, a Robin is a meat puppet. Right. He's just he's just for her, like... He, like, their relationship with. literally, not to bring this back to the OC, reminds me of Julie and Luke. Yes. <laughs> where it's like... <laughs> where it's like he keeps showing up all the time and she's like, hi, can you leave? Like, I'm busy. <laughs> You're a child. Get out. Yeah. Um, but, like, also, like, please come in. Also, just rub my – or, like, as rub your Bob fingers Seger's through my hair. As long as playing, like, oh my God. all bets are off. <laughs> oh, my God. Yuck. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a – there's also, like, this sort of thing that tinges this book where, like, you're supposed to sort of be like, well – like, especially now when, like, mental illness is something we talk about openly and often. Um, yeah. Where it's like, oh, well, like, Edna is chemically unbalanced and, like, that's what's going on. Oh, yeah. Very clearly depressed. But I also think that that's, like, like, you have that one doctor in the book who, like, keeps coming around and I guess – like I because I sort of was reading it I'm like oh well like she's obvious like there's obviously something going on mentally but then I'm sort of like well is that like diminishing her choices Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. her like autonomy and like maybe maybe she just doesn't care and maybe she's like yeah like I'm unhappy today Mm -hmm. and and just because she's unhappy then we're like oh well she must be depressed well it's like is she bored or is she depressed 
And I think, like, I think it's almost like the other characters in the book would have us believe she's depressed, that there's, like, a chemical imbalance, and that's why she, like, can't get it together. But I think you might be right in that it's, like, really Kate Chopin being like, no, the system is fucked, and she didn't want to live in it anymore. Right. And also, like, she, and not live in it anymore, even while she was alive and just decided, like, I'm not going to play by these rules anymore. I mean, that being said, though, I mean, somebody who commits suicide is, like, yeah. not doing great. No. But, I don't, it also kind of reminds me, isn't there a scene in the bell jar where um, Esther swims out into the ocean and tries to drown yes. herself? Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, she's out there and she's like, maybe this could be my moment. And you're like, Esther. Esther, no. No. Please go back to shore. But I think we, you also have it introduced in the beginning that Edna's not a very good swimmer. Yes. And, but she has that moment too where she swims out and she's like, ooh, there's like a pull of the ocean. This is fun. Right. Um, And so it's like, and that day she's kind of able to like quell that pull and like kind of shut it down and be like, no, actually there's stuff to kind of live for and figure out. But then ultimately at the end, there is not. But I mean, I just feel like she gives Robert too much credit a little bit. I agree. Like there, it makes no sense why she's like, oh, and you're all I'm living for now. Because it's not even like they have that much, like that like fun of a dynamic. No, well, and we like, it was kind of weird because when Robert left the first time to go to Mexico, I didn't really realize that she had strong feelings for him. Like it was only after he left that she was like, oh, I can't live without him. And like, yeah. So it sort of felt to me like it was an absence makes makes the heart grow fonder kind of a thing or like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, like I liked the attention and now that attention's gone. And so now I'm like, I miss it. But it didn't like really strike me as like one true love. Yeah, so maybe it was never about Robert and that it's really about that there's something missing and she was like, well, Robert's the, like, only thing that I can physically point to that is gone. And so, like, it must be about that. And so she, like, focuses all of her energy into making it about that, but really it is, like, that there's, like, something missing in her life and she can't figure out what it is. Yeah, I mean... Because it it just didn't, like, really add up to me that, like, Robert sends her that note and then she just, like, immediately goes and kills herself. Like, I'm like... Oh, yeah. It was, I'm like, like, very why? quick turnaround. Like, relax. What about a Robin? Yeah. Like, it's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> this book is also interesting because it is only... It's, like, 120 pages. And it's all the beginning and the end. Right. The middle is, like, I feel like couldn't matter less. I mean, I think it just, like, the middle is just her, like, saying, like, I'm going to do what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not interested yeah. in your rules. Mm-hmm. Like, it's enjoyable to read because Kate Chopin is a kick-ass writer. Yeah. But, they're but like, I was they're just like, like what's fun, going on? They're, like, fun things that she does, like, that weird dinner party that she throws and, like. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, toward the end. Yeah. Uh, isn't it at that dinner party that a Robin's like, let's do this? And she's like, please go home. <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ugh. Yeah, I don't know. Did they ever make The Awakening into a movie? Uh, I don't know. 
It would be like it could be like a BBC series. Probably. But it would be like, it would be really hard to make this a good movie because like very little happens. Very little happens. Like you would have to add in some of the questions that we have. Like there would have to be some solid montages of her and Robert having like a fun dynamic <laughs> for us to feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, Robert. I guess that's what I, that was, was sort of missing to me where I was like, I don't feel like you and Robert are the OTP. Like I don't, right. I don't get Agreed. that feeling at all. And yeah, whereas in like Austin novels, I always feel like, well, there's so much buildup. Yeah, there's a lot of buildup. And so like you see those characters together a bunch and you're like, oh, I like this. Well, and like there's like fun banter, whereas like Robert seemed more like a pet to me. Like I, yeah. I didn't really feel like Robert was in any way like an equal to Edna in terms of anything. Well, but maybe that's what she wants. So, like, her view of relationships and love would be, like, what she's been shown, which is, like, the classic male-female dynamic. And so maybe she is trying to be the man in the relationship where it's, like, her husband is, like, looking at her like you would. A possession. Like, a, a pretty thing that he owns. And so she's, like, okay, like, I don't like that. I want to be the man. Because she doesn't see, like, another type of love or affection. Because I don't think she – there are no couples that are pointed to in this story that are like, oh, they're a good marriage. Like, I feel like Austin does that a lot in her books where she'll be like, okay, so here are the characters that have good marriages. Here are the characters that have bad marriages. Well, aren't the, don't the Ratanols have kind of a good marriage? I think it's, like – it's, like, meant to be, like – like, he's good to her and she's perfect, but it's not, like, you, they don't have, like, a lovely dynamic, as I no. remember. Well, I mean, we, it's, we don't really It's, like, if he was mean much. to her, everyone would hate him because, like, she's so lovely. Right. And perfect. <clears throat> what did you give us on Goodreads? So, I had read this before. I'm going to see what I gave it back in the day same i should probably I like mark it as reread though so that i can maybe re- meet my goodreads challenge this year which i did not even close to get this year yeah let's see i feel like i might have given it like a five out of five just because it's like oh it's a classic and i liked it i give it a five what account is this oh I think I'm going to change it to a four this time around oh yeah oh wait no I see that you gave it a five I was like oh that's my rating the awakening Yeah, I mean, I I really like it. Yeah, I, mean, I gave it a five. I really well, like also- it. I but like I feel like I feel like with my fives though, like that has to be something that I would like read any time of the year again. Oh, a hundred percent. Whereas I don't necessarily feel like that about the Awakening. Like I enjoy it. I would recommend it, but it's like not my favorite book of all time. Right. Totally, I agree. So, um, so <laughs> I wanted to ask you, um, do you have a New Year's resolution? 
I thought I was going to have... I... If I could just, like, steal from yours, I really liked what you said about, like, just using your time intentionally. I thought that that was such a good resolution to have. Um, Because I didn't make resolutions this year. I participated in a solstice ceremony. Oh, I'm so jealous Where I wrote an intention. I wrote something to let go of. And I think there was a third thing, but I don't remember (laughs) what that was. You clearly Um, just really let it go into the flame. Yeah, I think my intention for the year was to be more open to things and not to, like, immediately shut down about things that um, maybe, like, scare me or make me nervous. Okay, that's Um, a good one. Yeah, just to be, like, more open to, like, things as they come and not be so worried about, like, ugh, where's this going? Like, what's going on? That's a good one. Yeah. And I forget, like, what my thing that wasn't serving me to let go of was. So, like, clearly I let it go. It's over. Yeah, you totally um, <laughs> let it go. Yeah, I burned it in the flames and it's over. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm – so I got Brennan for Christmas, which I asked for, got me this thing called the Day Designer. Ooh. Which I'll hold it up. Nobody else can see it but you. But mm. here it is. Okay. Okay, and the thing that's cool about it is that – it's a planner, but it's, like, mm-hmm. a full page is a day. Ooh, and so okay. you get to, like, put, like, your to-do list, your, like, hourly schedule. So from, like, 5 mm-hmm. to 10 p.m. or whatever, you, like, can fill in the time, like, what you're doing for those blocks of time, which is really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, like, very excited about using that. And I write a thing I'm grateful for every day. That's great. Um. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. I'm hoping that I can use my phone less, like, just, like, scrolling time, too, because I feel yeah. like, like, if I want, if I'm going to go on social media, I want it to be because I'm actually, like, looking to look at social media rather than, like, mechanically my thumb has pressed the button without me thinking about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I think I think it's going to be a good intention. It's also like kind of hard to measure, so like it's hard to fail it. Yeah. Well, I think what's good first of all about your resolution and then also that day that day planner is that it helps you to curb that feeling of like, oh, you know, like cuz they're easily I'm sure in law school and I felt this way to like a smaller extent when we were in grad school. It was like it always felt like you could be reading. Yeah. And doing something. And so, like, I could finish a whole book and be like, well, I, like, barely got anything accomplished. Or, like, spend all this time. And then I remember every now and again I would take a step back and be like, well, like, what do I expect of myself? And even as a teacher, I'm like, oh, when I'm home, like, I should be doing stuff. And I took a step back and was like, I mean, should my expectation really be that I, like, don't get to come home and, like, have some downtime? You know, um, which is no. And so I think like having that built into your schedule will be like, no, like this is built in like downtime. And like I can see how much time of productivity I can expect from myself. And so like you see how much time you really are devoting to that. And so you feel a little bit better about it. Well, and then you can actually like enjoy the time you're not working. Like I think that's that's part of like using time intentionally. It doesn't necessarily mean you're always productive. It just means that like. If I'm, like, you know what, like, I'm done for the day and I'm going to take an Epsom salt bath and, like, yeah, 
listen to Radiohead, then go for it. I can enjoy that and not be in my head thinking like I really should be reading property law right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like make the choice and like spend the time in that way. But mm-hmm. um, there was something else I was going to say. Um, I don't know. It'll come to me, but it had to do with this whole thing. Whatever. doesn't matter. Um, did you read any books over break that you'd like to recommend or not recommend? So- since we recorded i've read um oh i've been reading i'm like more than halfway through the last book in the crazy rich asian series oh yeah um i think that the second two are better than the first because there isn't that annoying dynamic of like hey um maybe you could just tell rachel the truth and that would be super oh yeah um there are definitely plot lines in it that I don't care about at all. Okay. Um, but there's also a really nice reveal in the second book about, like, remember how we talked about that at um, the big wedding in the first book that the bride was, like, mad that Astrid wore a dress she'd already worn before to the wedding? Yes, yeah. Well, there's a really nice reveal. So Astrid ends up wearing that dress to Nick and Rachel's wedding. Oh. And Eleanor is, like... Didn't you wear that to um, Armentia and Colin's wedding? And Astrid says, I wear it to every wedding because ever since that one wedding where everyone kept talking about my dress in front of the bride and I felt awful, like, I, like, never wanted to pull focus again. So I wear this this particular dress to every wedding. And you're like, Astrid. Best character in the book. Yeah. Love her. Uh, But, yeah, so I've been enjoying those. And I read that book – that other Donna Tart book, The Secret History. Oh, yeah. Did you like that? It was good. Um, Did you read The Goldfinch? Yes. Okay. I'm not sure which one I liked better. I feel like I have the same feeling about The Goldfinch where, like, there's, like, a whole middle in both books where you're like, okay, like, let's Oh, yeah. The whole, the whole part where they go to Vegas. Ugh. Yeah. Don't care about that part. Yeah. Um, and in this book, there is also, like, there's a whole middle where you're like, okay, let's let's move this forward. Um, kind of like The Awakening. It's interesting. But there is just something about Donna Tart though, where, like, I both respect this and, like, I'm, like, a little, like, okay about it, where it's, like, she's just very clearly interested in, like, preppy people doing what they're doing. Okay. Or, like, fairly, like, upper class sensibility, I feel like, in her books. I don't know. Okay. It's, like, the book is interesting, but it's about, like kids that are like in in like a semi-elite program and like the dysfunction that's going on in there but yeah what about yourself um so i finished i'll be gone in the dark right um which i did really like um i feel like you could read it honestly now that i've read it i feel like you probably could read it like, maybe a few chapters might, like, freak you out a little bit. But, like, you already mm-hmm. really know, like, the gist the gist yeah. of the details. And so it probably wouldn't get you too much. Yeah. Um, but, like, like, the majority of the book is more focused on, like, the people who were trying to find him. And, mm-hmm. like, her own personal journey to, like, try to find him. And, mm-hmm. um... 
Anyway, I thought it was good. I gave it five stars. Um, but it's not, it's not like, it's not set up like the Ted Bundy book where it's like, Mm. you can't kind of wait to know what happens next. And it's set up in like a really narrative style where they like hold stuff back for you, from you Mm. and stuff. Whereas Mm -hmm. like, this is much more like, number one, we already know who it is. Mm -hmm. Number two, like the book doesn't have that answer anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, like, really interesting to hear, like, how people thought about it and, like, the different things that they tried to help to, to help find him and, mm-hmm. like, going through online and finding, like, trying to find objects that went missing on, like, eBay. Yeah. Like, really specific, like, cufflinks with a letter on them to see if you could find the seller or something. Anyway, it's just, like, wild stuff like that where it's, like, whoa, like, people are really smart. Yeah. Um, and also just, like, really just looking for anything that could possibly. Yeah. And then the other book I read, which is, like, different than anything I would normally read, was called To the Bright Edge of the World, um, which I read for my mother-daughter book club. I loved it. Like, okay. very surprisingly. Like, the premise of it is it takes place in, like, the late 1800s. And it's about a husband and wife who the husband is um, like a frontiersman, basically, who leads this party into Alaska. Like it's right after the U.S. purchases Alaska to like look at it, basically, and map mm-hmm. it and say like this is what there is. And to also see if there are like minerals or whatever things to make it valuable, which there were. Um, and then his wife is like, a very adventurous, like, outdoorsy, smart woman who's, like, really into nature and birds and photography. Um, And so it's, like, their journals are written, but it's, like, a lot of kind of, like, Native American, like, mysticism going on um, where he is in Alaska. And then, like, also some of that, like, carries on to where she is. But anyway, it's really good. Um, anyway, like most people in the book club enjoyed it, I think. Um, my mom and I both liked it. So anyway, I would recommend it. It's like it looks really long, but it isn't mm-hmm. as long as it looks because hmm. it's written in journal entries. So there are a lot of like half pages oh, that aren't filled. Mm-hmm. So I, it was like 400 <laughs> pages and I read it in like four days and like oh, okay. didn't feel like I was – like pounding my brain with stuff yeah that's good yeah so that was kind of that was all i read really i mean considering that you're also taking a full course load of law school like i could totally understand if after a break you were like uh no thanks i mean i had a whole month off and like had so many expectations for myself to Mm -hmm. you know read a lot but i didn't yeah I did not meet my uh, reading goal this year. You were okay. close, though. I actually – I was close. I was closer, actually, than I think I thought, but – Yeah. I was only that close, though, because I counted that Lin-Manuel Miranda book, with, which is basically tweets and artwork, and if so I, normally I wouldn't have counted that. If but. I counted my <laughs> law school books, then I would definitely have made it. Uh, And, like, as well you should. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – 
I don't know. Well, I was going to give my contracts book a one star on Goodreads, but <laughs> but I found I found out that like no one has reviewed it yet, and so I didn't want to like mm. tank them. Because it just came out this year, and I was like, well, I mean, I don't like contracts, but that doesn't mean, like, this book is the worst, but, (laughs) I mean, they definitely, it's, like, written by these three old men who kind of, like, write inappropriate jokes in that notes section of it, which I wasn't a huge fan of. No. Like, Viagra jokes and stuff like that, which I'm just like, I'm just trying to learn contracts. No one likes that. No one does. I just started watching The Sopranos. Very interesting. Oh, so far. really? I have never watched that. I bet that's good. Um, also, I think since we finished recording, I finished The Americans. Oh, that's one of Brendan's favorite shows. I never watched yeah. that either. Really like. Um, one of my favorite things about knowing that Brendan watched The Americans is when I watch it, I always think about like, oh, I bet that is what Brendan really liked. And like, I know that what I like is opposite. <laughs> Brendan is such a like black and white moralist. Brendan would know, hate like, the awakening. <laughs> <laughs> like I know that his which but okay, can I just say though, I know that I know because Brendan told me he loves Stan Beeman in The Americans, who's the FBI agent. Okay. Which on paper, that is not shocking. But in season one, he has this really long affair with one of the informants, and it is horrible to watch. And I don't know if Brendan just blocked that out of his brain because it only happens in like seasons like maybe like one and two or something. But I remember being like, oh, like I wonder if Brendan was like, nope, Stan's done. <laughs> Probably. Brendan cheating Brendan on his hates wife. affairs. <laughs> well, know, and like he has a really long affair. <laughs> yeah, well, and Brendan. Um, but then he becomes good. Yeah, well, so like, like it. when, like, there's any suggestion that Ned cheated on Catelyn, Brennan's like, no way. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> Which he but was right. <laughs> my feeling in the Americans is becoming my feeling. And I don't know if this is just, like, my general interest. So, basically, I tend to be interested in female characters first. Yes. And then in families. Yep. Like, in the Americans. And, like, to me, the Americans is about um carrie russell and matthew reese's characters and their marriage as they are being russian spies because they're set up by the kgb like they don't choose each other but like by the end of the show they choose each other um and so like my interest is them raising their kids who like have grown up in america and don't know that their parents are russian spies and like how they negotiate all that like that is what i care about like i could care less about all the spy stuff they do and so far in The Sopranos, <laughs> my interest is Tony's therapy. Yeah. And his relationship with his family. Because I think I I'm like just family really interested. stuff too. Well, and I think in shows like that, first of all, it's like we all have family. And so like we all have dynamics with our parents and blah, blah, blah. But I also like I like that idea. Like Tony Soprano is like constantly negotiating this idea of like wanting to be a good father and like really loving his children but also like doing like pretty indefensible stuff right um and i think like to some extent philip and elizabeth are doing that in the americans as well where it's like they love their children and have raised their children but they also like have a completely different set of values and that they have instilled in their children which is like Mm. and they're like always kind of undermining like subtly 
the American values that their kids pick up, but they're trying to, like, not make that obvious so that they don't, like, ruffle any feathers. But, like, I'm always just so interested in those two shows about, like, how these parents, like, negotiate those things within their family. And that, to me, is, like, way more interesting than any, like, mob stuff that they're up to and any, like, spy stuff that they're up to. So... I, I should watch that show. I think I would like it. It's a lot of people's favorite shows ever. The Americans? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, And it's just, like, it's not, like, overly, like, twisty or whatever. It's just, And, like, I think it is a show that you can, like, leave for a little bit and then, like, come back to. So if, like, and you're definitely a person who, like, takes hiatuses from shows. I know. I, yeah, I know. You. <laughs> <sighs> I know. Um, like, it took Rachel and I, like, an uncharacteristically long time to get through the show. And it wasn't because, like, we weren't enjoying it. Oh, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about Friday Night Lights. Um, so we, Brennan and I started the show called The OA. Have you watched that? Mm, that sounds really familiar. It's a Netflix show, right? It is a Netflix show. It's, like, the, I don't want to say, like, much about it because I don't want to like, give anything mm-hmm. away. But, like, the premise is, is that a woman shows up in her like hometown after she's been missing for like seven years and like nobody knows where she's been okay um but it's it it gets like it's pretty weird like it's like kind of like sci-fi and a little bit fantasy but it's it's good um and then i started the staircase okay um which, like, everyone in my family was so bored by, so <laughs> I didn't get to watch it. I, you will be proud to know, have been listening to a lot of Dolly Parton music recently. Oh, love her. Because of the movie Dumplin'. Oh, yeah. Which is based on a book that, like, after we do Devil in the White City, I think we should read Dumplin'. Okay. I think it'll be a good palate cleanser. Amen. So, basically, Dumplin' is the story of an overweight teen whose mother is a beauty contestant um, or, like, used to be in beauty pageants. In the movie, she's played by Jennifer Aniston. Okay. And But, like, the teenager, like, loves Dolly Parton. Like, loves, loves, loves Dolly Parton. And um, is inspired to join her high school's beauty pageant or her town's beauty pageant as kind of, like, a protest of, like, all bodies are beautiful, blah, blah, blah. She also has a tryst with a very hot boy who's like, I love you, mm. or like, I really like, I'm interested in you. And she's like, why? That doesn't make any sense. Um, Is it like hairspray? Um, a little bit. But it like, it's very truthful in her like, suspicion of like this very hot guy, like, liking her. Because they like meet at work and have like a very fun dynamic. And um, when he's like, we should go out, she's like, what? And I was like... I I definitely um, related to that of, like, I don't know, just that, that idea of, like, not ex- necessarily expecting, like, someone, like, who's, like, classically hot to be, like, in high school anyway, being, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, I want to go out with you. And you're, like, what? But, like, I'm not, I don't have the classic hot body. You know what I mean? Listen, I've seen some teenage Audrey picks, and, frankly, <laughs> those, those boys would have been lucky to have you. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's a very, like, sweet movie, and, like, she gets some inspiration from some Dolly Parton drag queens, and that's oh very God. fun. Love that. Um, but yeah, so. 
we should we should put Dumplin on the list, and I would recommend the film. Okay. Well, now I'm about to go on my like TV cleanse of the semester, but <laughs> um, I love Dolly Parton though, so I probably would love that. Yeah, she also she wrote um a new song for the movie, and it like might get nominated for an Oscar. And like, I would just love. I feel like A Star Is Born is gonna win the Oscar, but I would just love nothing more than Dolly Parton up on that Oscar stage, being like, you know, I just want to thank y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I went to like what could be more fun than Dolly Parton winning an Oscar? Did I ever did I ever tell you about when I went to Dollywood? Yes. (laughs) Love it. Wouldn't recommend it, but like (laughs) (laughs) mostly just that's proof of how much I love Dolly Parton that I went to. As I recall, that was like your bargaining chip. Like, I'll go on this car ride if we can go to Dollywood. Yeah, well, my my best friend in college, Alec, was um driving from Texas. Like he wanted to get his car from texas to massachusetts and he's like do you want to go on a mm-hmm. road trip and i was like yeah if we can stop in dollywood <laughs> so it, i mean yeah it definitely did not live up to my expectations but <laughs> like she basically has employed her entire family to work there too because they have, like, a show that's, like, Dolly's family. <laughs> and then she literally <laughs> appears as a hologram. And then they all Perfect. sing around her. It's bizarre, but also <laughs> love that. <laughs> I would love to be so famous that my whole family is just around a hologram of me. Because yeah. I'm too busy. And so aspirational. <laughs> God. Love it. Well, I guess that's it. Um Devil in the White City is going to be next, a recommendation from my sister, Mary-Kate. Yep, love it. Which she has not finished the book yet, but she's recommended it, so. Well, I also think that... I've heard um, a lot. I've actually heard a lot of people say it was good. It's a classic of the true crime genre. Is it true? I thought it was. I don't know that it's true. I thought it was a true book. Hold on. I have the book close by. It's definitely dramatized if it is true. Oh, I was under the impression that it was a a true book. Hold on. Maybe it is. If it is, I'd like it better. Um. For best fact crime. Yeah, it's a history book. That's what it says. Um. But then it says narrative. Murder, magic, and madness at the fair that changed America. Mm-hmm. So, apparently it's true. Newly discovered history and thrills of the best, mm, the best fiction. What? Is it a, like a blend? Maybe it's a blend. We'll look into it. <laughs> we'll know next time when we record what it is. But, I mean, the World's Fair happened, so that's true. Yeah. I would love nothing more. Like, I... I do this when I listen to podcasts. It's like, you know, when somebody says something wrong and you're like screaming yeah. what's correct. And the, or like, they're like, what is that thing called? And you're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> I would hope nothing less than someone being at home being like, oh my God. Ari's screaming. Hopefully. Which, by the know. way, let's just give a shout out to Ari. Isn't this about Chicago? <laughs> no. Yeah, it is. Chicago, her city. Oh, she'll Ari. know it then for sure. Yeah. Also, yeah. she'll know all about nineteen or eighteen ninety three Chicago. She loves nothing more than the World's Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Also, I just want to give a shout out to Ari and her bangs. Ari got bangs. Love those bangs. I support anyone with bangs, first of all. And second of all, I was like, I took it upon myself to give her unsolicited advice about having bangs. I was like, here's what you got to do. Okay, Ari sent me that Instagram direct and I literally was like, you look like a star. Like you look like I loved it. a I love straight it. up star. She does. She is pulling Major and Hathaway in the Devil Wars Prada vibes. And frankly, there are few compliments higher. Like, after the makeover. Absolutely true. Like, after Nigel makes her good. We're going to have to ask Ari to send us a picture of her so we can share it on our story, just so other people can see it. Yes. (laughs) Or I'll just steal one from her Instagram. Has she posted it? I haven't seen any pictures. Maybe from New Year's. (laughs) She's going to be... I can only imagine, like, how disarming this is going to be for her listening to this. I was just, like, wildly speculating. We miss you, Ari. I think she posted... I miss her. I miss her and I miss Tyler. I miss you. I know. I miss all you guys, too. Tyler is our real-life Seth Cohen. He is. Okay, yeah, she does have one on from New Year's. We can right. we can share that with the world. <laughs> we'll screenshot For all one. people who are wondering about Ari's bangs. Yeah, and Tyler's in it, too. Yeah, just because I know people miss him. <laughs> Less excited. There's also a picture of her with bangs as a child on her Instagram. Yeah, anyway. Rocking, like, a, a pretty sweet pixie cut. That's a, I think that's a hairstyle I can never have. My head is so round. Jess McCune just texted me a picture of Timothy Chalamet in a suit, and it is truly something to behold. He, I'm sending it to you right now. Speaking of the, the person who had the most fun at the Golden Globes, our oh boy. Oh my God. I can't even talk about that. It's too, too wonderful for words. If anyone wants to do themselves a favor, including you, Cher, please watch his variety, Actors on Actors, with Emma Stone. So much of it is him just marveling at Emma Stone, which, like, is very endearing in its own right. But I also just love. I love that Timothy Chalamet is a 20-something-year-old man who is unabashedly just, like, in total admiration of young women. Yeah, me too. God bless him. And he was – and, like, is inspired by – because I feel like so many 20-something-year-old men, like, it would never occur to them to be inspired. They're so arrogant. They just can't bother. And also, like, I just don't think it would ever occur to them to be inspired by a woman. Yeah. Because they have so many men to be inspired by. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, women and people of color are constantly inspired by white men because for a while it was like, okay, so, like, this, this is, all, is all we, we got. And then, like, other figures pop up for us to be inspired by. But, like, we have no trouble accessing white men's emotions in movies because it's like we've had to for so long. That's very true. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Kumail Nanjiani said something about that last year at the Oscars where he oh, was like yeah, – I remember that. He was like, there's like no reason that people couldn't access me as a lead actor. Like I've been doing that with white men my entire fucking life. He's not wrong. So get with the program. Yeah, everyone. People, specifically S- Mostly men. men. Yeah. All right. Well, miss you Good a talk. lot. Talk to you soon. Miss you as well. All right. Glad we're back. Glad we're back. Yeah. All right, right, everybody. (laughs) Bye.